But Haggai uh, chapter 2, as we, we finish up this book, as again, we've been talking about renewal and revival. We, we've talked about how God challenged His people, how He challenged them to, to be about the rebuilding of His temple. They had been in this area of Jerusalem and, and Judea. They had been in this area now for some 18 years, and they still had not completed the temple. It was there, desolate. Oh, there was an altar. There were offerings. The foundation had been poured, but there was no true structure. And the people had given all their attention to their own homes, their own houses. And in these 18 years, very little progress had been made. So what does God do? God sends them a guy named Haggai and haven't spoken about him as much, but a guy named Zechariah. These two prophets will prophesy around the same time, and they will challenge the people to get back to the work, to hear the word and to get back to the work, and they will collectively encourage them. As the book closes, as the message of Haggai closes, I think that Haggai speaks to them of blessing, of the great blessing that is in store. Now, blessing through the discipline or the difficulty Blessing through the, the dew itself, through the, the yield that will come, but also blessing through the Davidic line as it is spoken about here in the last few verses. So let's begin in verse 15. Again, this is the message. It continues from verse 10 as we talked about last Sunday. And verse 15 is located around December of 520 B.C. So, again, this all begins in August or so, and now we're to December. And this is what the message encompasses. It says, And now, carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when once came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit." But from this day, I will bless you. So let, let's stop right there and again listen to the word that Haggai speaks. In the beginning, he speaks more of a curse than he does a blessing. But I want to show you eventually how that blessing turn, or that curse turns into blessing. When I say it's a curse, if you hear what he's saying, he says, I want you to think I want you to think about what you've experienced. I want you to look back in your life, and I want you to look back in these different years when the temple had not been completed, and I want you to see the difficulty that you've had. The difficulty that you've had has been connected to the disobedience in your life. Now, let me say this. Just because you have difficulty does not mean you've been disobedient. Did you hear me? As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we look at the disciples and others. There are 
all kinds of hardships. There are all kinds of difficulties that come as a result of obedience. So I'm not telling you tonight that all difficulty is the result of disobedience. But I will say this. There are some difficult moments in our lives because of our disobedience. Not all difficult times come because of disobedience, but some do. And what you hear here is that Haggai the prophet said, all these things that you've experienced, the drought, the famine, it is all directly connected to your disobedience to me. Because you have not prioritized my house, remember that's the whole context, you have experienced these different difficulties. And again, notice what it says, that you're going to find, well, you want to find uh, 20 ephahs, uh, a heap of grain or so. You want to find 20, what do you find? You find 10. You find half of what you were expecting. Some might even suggest that they were um, planting a lot of seed, but it was like nothing was yielded or nothing was being harvested. Now think of the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest says what? If I plant so many seeds, I'm going to actually receive more than I planted. Isn't that the law of the harvest? When everything is natural, you have enough rain, you have enough. I mean, folks, a, a few weeks ago I told you about my dad and how many squash plants and okra plants and all that that he had planted. Do you know he still got okra running out his ears? Every day I talked to him, I said, what you doing, Dad? He said, um, I'm cutting okra. I said, you're cutting okra? He said, yeah. I said, how long is this going to last? He said, I think till Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it just keeps on because you plant some seed and more and more. And look, that okra, it just keeps, I mean, it keeps getting taller and taller and keeps, I mean, it's just, it's like it never is going to die at some point. But here he says, you, you've planted all this and you were expecting so much, but you're getting like half of it at times. As a matter of fact, it's even less than half at other times. He said, you come to, to draw, draw out from the wine vat. And, and what happens is, is that instead of getting 50 or 60, you get 20. He said, that is because... That is because of your disobedience. Remember earlier in the book of Haggai, it said that they had so much, but they had brought in little. They had eaten, but they did not have enough. They were drinking, but they were not filled with drink. They were clothed, but yet they were not warm. And I always love that passage that Haggai gives us. It says that you earn wages, but you earn wages to put them in pockets that have holes in them. In other words, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to have all this livelihood and you're trying to get so much in your life, but it seems like that all that you're striving for just somehow it, it eludes you. You can't quite get to it. You can't quite have it. And again, he connects it and says the reason is because your priorities have been out of whack. Now, their difficulty is because of their disobedience. But understand this difficulty to me is God's discipline. And there is blessing through God's discipline. It is hard to understand. It is, it is sometimes very difficult to see a blessed side. But there is blessing in the Lord's discipline. Now the people should have recognized that God disciplines. Remember, they had just returned from Babylon. Their whole experience in Babylon was because they had been disciplined by Yahweh God. 
They had turned against him, and he had given them every opportunity, every opportunity to repent of their sins. But what did God do? God said, okay, I'm going to take an evil nation, and I'm going to use them as an instrument of discipline in your life. That's really what the whole book of Habakkuk is about. God, how could you use such an evil pagan nation? But God says, I can use anybody. And I can bring discipline among my people. Discipline is something that we should see as a blessing. We may not, we may not enjoy it, but it is a blessing to our lives. Here it says that the discipline had been shown through blight mildew and hell in all the labors of your hands. Reminding us of the words that were written some years earlier by the prophet Amos said that I blasted you. The word blast can, can mean like a scorching wind that comes across your land. That scorching wind that just seems to destroy everything it touches. Amos says, I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me. Hear the same message that the people had been given so many years before. And now Haggai is saying to them, this has all happened in an effort to discipline you, and yet it seems like you have not returned to me. Discipline always seems, well, Discipline should always be designed to teach a lesson. When you discipline a child, you should never discipline a child out of anger. Now, there have been many times that we probably have that we should, we should say, God, we're sorry about that. But discipline should be aimed at trying to correct, correct misbehavior in somebody's life. And when God disciplines his people, it may, not, it may not feel good. It may not uh, be the most received in our lives, but yet it is something that we should see as God's love. For example, Hebrews chapter, Hebrews, uh, chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, he talks some about how we ourselves are disciplined by the God above, and how this God is the one who shows us love. For example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. In other words, it says the Lord will chasten us at times. And we see it as his love. It actually, hey, if you're chastened, 
that probably is a good indication that you are a believer, that you are a child of God. I'm going to tell you, I don't pray, Lord, would you bring your chastening rod? I never say, God, I need a good spanking today. I have never prayed that in my life. But when the Lord provides his rod of correction, I should be reminded that he loves me so much that he wants to see me make progress for the kingdom. He wants to see me live a holy life. And the way he does that is he disciplines his children. There can be blessing through discipline. Let me show you also, because this is where I think it even gets better, is that as God disciplines us and as we turn to Him, we begin to understand the blessing of God in our life, maybe even in a greater way. Because it says in verse 19, from this day I will bless you. And what is he talking about there? He's talking about, I'm going to bring blessing in crops, and I'm going, to be, uh, I'm going to bless you with more prosperity. Now, hear me again. I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. I think those of you who've been around, you know that. I don't believe just because you do well, you'll have great prosperity in your life. There are some people who teach that all the time. Uh, you can catch them on television. I, when I was... At Canaan Baptist Church, I used to watch some of those television. I got to watch what I say because I'm over on television sometime. I can't besmirch all the TV preachers. Can I do that, Mac? I don't need to do that. But I used to watch some before I would go to uh, our services at Canaan Baptist Church, and I get so worked up from what I would hear that I would almost change my message on Sunday morning. It would make me so mad. It was like if you just give so much to me, then you'll have all kind of wealth in your life. Uh, even in the mail, when I was there at Canaan, I received a little red piece of uh, fabric, and it said if I would sleep at night and I would put that red fabric under my pillow, then I would be blessed in 10 days. And when I was blessed in 10 days, I was supposed to send so much of that money on to this ministry. I think I preached about that red piece of fabric for four weeks, did I not, Leslie? Because it worked me up so much. I do not believe, I do not believe that just because you are obedient that prosperity comes to you. Not in the way this world would teach it. Not in the way the world says, oh, you're going to have all this stuff. But because of the prosperity preachers and because of our reaction to them, we forget. Well, I think we sometimes do forget, though, that God does bless. And there are times in our lives that he would just heap that blessing upon us. Because we're so afraid. But, but when we turn back to him, there are blessings. Sometimes they are tangible blessings Sometimes they are, are, are more spiritual blessings. They are blessings. In this case, what he says is, if you'll turn back to me, then I'll actually bless you. And, and, and what I actually, the way I, I framed it here is that we are blessed through discipline, but we're also blessed through the dew. Now, I know some of you think, what, the dew? You're thinking about the preacher that was here this morning. No. I want you to think back to the dew. It struck me when I 
when I saw that in chapter 1, verse 10, I really didn't, I didn't have time to emphasize it. Oh, by the way, that guy this morning preached just about as long as I did. Before I hear anything from you, I've already gotten texts from people that are out of state saying that they heard that the sermon was short this morning. <laughs> Mac and Shayla just didn't go quite as long this morning. I'll cut you off, exactly. <laughs> we'll start cutting Jeremy off, too. <laughs> sorry about that, Mac. I really am. I'm sorry. I was just, I needed to get in that pulpit this morning. <laughs> but, but the blessing can come through the dew. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says, th this is when he was talking about the famine. He said, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. So the dew had been withheld. Now again, when you think of the Middle Eastern climate, you think of the lack of rain, the dew is so essential to the growth of crops. The dew. You, I mean, you and I can't really think, because we live in Louisiana where it rains like what? Usually, here lately, well, I know it's been a little bit drier, so I'm not going to complain. But there for a while, it was like every other day it would rain. And when... I was in New Orleans in that area going to seminary. It would rain like every day, every day, like two o'clock in the afternoon, there would be a downpour. That's not the Middle Eastern climate. They were so dependent upon the dew and to get a heavy dew. Dew was the idea of blessing. It is the reason that Isaac, when he was blessing Jacob, I know it was a mistaken identity there, but when he was blessing Jacob, he said, Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. He said, May you experience the dew of heaven, because the dew was dependent upon God sending it. May you get what is necessary for the growth of the crops, the growth of of the land. So I believe what Haggai is saying is from this day I'm going to bless you is I'm going to I'm going to send the dew again. I'm going to grow your crops. I'm going to bless you. Zechariah who I said was the contemporary of Haggai, he actually says it much more pointedly. This is what Zechariah said in chapter 8 verse 12. He said for there will be peace for the seed. The vine will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce. And the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. Aren't you grateful that the Lord sends the due? That the Lord sends us that blessing? When we turn to Him, when we begin to seek Him, when the dis season of discipline comes to an end, God opens a season of dew in our lives where we can experience Him afresh. So Haggai here says, there's going to be blessing. Remember where you were. Remember that. Allow it to speak to you, the discipline, but then also know that the dew is on its way. There is blessing. And then he concludes, beginning in verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Notice, this is a second time. The same day. 
he gets another word to deliver to the people. Verse 21, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatil, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. In the last few verses, Haggai says, I want to show you the blessing that you will experience through the Davidic line. The Davidic line. The, the very idea of my servant was used so often to describe King David. And remember, when the people were separated from their land, they were separated from their temple. Okay, so get this. They were separated from the land itself, which was promised to them, right? How important that was to them and their identity. I often think of this because I grew up in a community where land was important. We had um, a good bit of family land, and it was important to our family because it had been in our family for years and years and years. I remember um, when one of our neighbors had decided that our fence was kind of old on the side, and he went through and he cut all of our fence down. My mama's a Baptist. She's somewhat of a practicing Baptist, but she's not always as good of a Baptist as she ought to be. And when we found that out, it was very difficult for her to process because her great-grandfather, I think, had put that fence up. Now, again, it was like almost rotten, but still. And it represented something about the land, and who we were. The land, we wouldn't sell land. I mean, it was like people up there in North Mississippi, if you had a piece of land, you didn't sell that piece of land. Like for years. Now, what's happened is a lot of the older people have passed away and their kids are selling the land for subdivisions. And my dad's just about to go nuts. But land was so important. It was like that was ours. But you know, for all of us and to think the way land, it's nothing like the people of Israel thought about land. That was the promised land. The whole of the land, it was the idea. And, th and that's the reason, again, today you're having such kind of conflict in the area because land was so important to them. It wasn't just the land. It was the idea of identity. So they had been separated from their land when they went to Babylon. They had been separated from the temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed. That was the very presence of God. Remember, the Holy of Holies there. And now it's gone. And then the Davidic king, the line of David, which had continued to rule over them, that Davidic line seemed to have slipped away. All of this. And now, again, notice Haggai says, you rebuild in the temple. I'm giving you your land back because I brought you back and I'm about to bless it with the dew of heaven. But also, he says, I'm going to restore. I want to authenticate. I want to give approval here to the Davidic line. 
And that is the reason he speaks directly here to Zerubbabel. In the beginning of this message, or the beginning of this book, it was to Zerubbabel and Joshua, the political leader and the spiritual leader, the priest. But now, just the political leader, the governor, because he is speaking about the Davidic line. He is speaking about the one who would be my servant. And the language is cataclysmic. I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Even conjures up the idea of the Exodus event. Notice where it says, I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride them. The horses and their riders shall come down. The idea of the Exodus is implanted right here. He says, I am going to be with you. I am going to, again, do something in this Davidic line. He says, I will make you like a signet ring. This is so important because in Jeremiah chapter 22, remember Jeremiah, the weeping prophet he is often called, he had foretold the destruction of Jerusalem and what would happen. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, he, had, he really had taken to task this king Jehoiakim, who is also called Kaniah here in the passage. And, and it says, uh, as, as you read through this, that this king would be dealt with. And in verse 24, it says that, he says, you were the signet of my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. The same language. So in Jehoiakim's time, he's like, I'm through with you. I'm taking back the ring, the approval, the Davidic kind of, I'm taking it back because you have deserted me. And now he's using the same language when it comes to uh, Zerubbabel that says, I am going to authenticate you. I'm going to give my approval to you. Now, think about that ring. What was the ring? The ring was used in order to authenticate a message or show approval or authority. I wear a ring on my right hand. Thank you, Francis, for letting me have this some time ago. It's made out of coin. I always try to keep it where it says, in God we trust, right up here. It's a coin ring, right? Um, sometimes when I get mad and I hit the doorpost, I think I'm leaving a godly message there. In God we trust, right there. I stamped it. But I think about that ring, the ring I wear, and how it does, in a sense, carry a message with it. And how, again, the message that Haggai delivers here is that you are, I'm, I'm authenticating who you are. Zerubbabel must have been somewhat discouraged. He must have been. He looked around. He saw all kind of rubble. He saw all kinds of issues with the people. And yet, here God is saying, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. And here... God was using Zerubbabel eventually to finish the building of the temple. The building of the temple will last approximately to 516 B.C., somewhere around there, 516. Now, to me, this is really cool. I don't know if you see the significance. You see the significance? You got it? You already figured it up? No. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Do you listen to me? No. Remember, remember when the people 
uh, were eventually taken into Babylon and when the temple was destroyed? When the temple was destroyed, 586 B.C. It was rebuilt, 516. Completed, I should say. Do you remember Jeremiah talking about 70 years that they would spend in Babylonian captivity? And people can argue back and forth what those 70. It's amazing to me how God is always true in his prophecies. And if you look at the temple and the way from the time it was destroyed to the time it was reconstructed, 70 years, it was brought back. And God used Zerubbabel. Now, there are so many commentators that read this and say, oh, but Haggai missed it. He was talking about the Messiah and all that. And look, Zerubbabel wasn't the Messiah. Friends, Haggai didn't miss it. And no, Zerubbabel was not Messiah. First, Zerubbabel was important. He was. He may have passed into somewhat anonymity for us, but the Jewish people, even from one of their leaders in 2nd century B.C. said, How shall we magnify Zerubbabel? He was like a signet on the right hand, and so was Joshua the son of Jehozadak. In their days, they built the house and raised the temple holy to the Lord, prepared for everlasting growth. There was a Hanukkah hymn uh, that was written, Well nigh had I perished when Babylon's end draw near. Through Zerubbabel I was saved after 70 years. Jewish people looked at him as somewhat of a savior, somewhat of an individual who had worked and who had done what was necessary to bring the temple back. So while we may dismiss him, don't forget how he had been used for the people, the people of Israel, the people of Judea and Jerusalem. But I would say to you that you and I sitting in this service tonight, we need to look farther ahead. Actually, we need to look back, and we need to look farther ahead in history from where Haggai was. Because I believe, as I read through this, the reestablishment of the Davidic king and the line reminds us of the true Messiah that is going to come. The one who is going to come and who will be the rightful Messiah in Christ. We ought to look ahead, and we ought to remember then in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, there's a guy named there. His name is Zerubbabel because he is in the genealogy of the one we call Jesus. He is in the genealogy of the one we call the Christ because, again, what God did is here he relaunched, if you will, the Davidic line. He brought blessing through the Davidic line. And yes, it was through Zerubbabel, but it was also in the future through Jesus. And it would be ultimately through Jesus that the people would see a greater glory. Remember what they had been promised? They had been, they'd been promised that the glory of the latter will be greater than the glory of the former. Ultimately, it would be in Jesus that the greater glory of the Father will be shown. It will be through Jesus that the divinic line is truly seen and understood. It will be through Jesus that blessing will be 
found blessing. Friends, we are a blessed people. We are blessed more than words can express. We are blessed when God disciplines us. We are blessed when he sends the dew into our lives. We are blessed when we look toward the son of David and we herald his name and celebrate and worship him as the Messiah, the Christ he is. My friends, we are blessed. I pray that will drive us to obedience. I pray that will drive us to a true heart of worship and gratitude toward him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for moments in our lives when you do discipline. And God, we recognize that it's difficult. But we also recognize it's necessary. God, thank you, though, for the seasons when you bring fresh dew that will bring blessing into who we are and to our surroundings. And God, I pray that we as a people, we will experience that dew fresh morning by morning. And God, most of all, what we're thankful for is a Davidic line that continued. God, it wasn't broken by some foreign nation. It wasn't uprooted by spiritual powers, but it was ultimately fulfilled through this one we call Jesus. And tonight in this place, we give thanks to you for sending your one and only son for us. There is no greater blessing. There is no greater blessing than the salvation and reconciliation that you have provided through him. May we adore you. May we make your name famous. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight?